This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Stuart Jones, Head of Product at ITV Hub. Stuart, welcome to the Business of House podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you for coming on the show. Okay, so take any successful app and you'll find a team of people that are behind its success. And how they manage to work together efficiently is what makes that success possible. Now, what if it's not just about an app, but a mobile channel for one of the leading broadcasters in the UK? So to guide us through challenges of app product development at CRM, we have Stuart from ITV. But as usual, let's talk about something else first. Tell us about yourself, Stuart. Sure. So, um, well, work-wise, I've been working now for nearly about 24 years in a range of roles in technology. Um, My very first role, I was outside of tech. It was in engineering. And mm-hmm. I was an apprenticeship um, for a British aeroplane manufacturer, but quickly, wow. yeah, quickly started to try and try my hand elsewhere. It was back in the kind of mid nineties, and you know, the internet was becoming a thing and becoming a business model for people, and that really excited me. So from that moment on, I, I kind of set my sights on a digital endeavour. And you know, luckily for me, I've had some some good roles, likes of Telegraph, Channel Four, and uh, KFC and Nando's which are big mm. household name companies in the UK. And I've also done some consultancy work for the likes of uh, Google and uh, the clothing distributor ASOS. Okay, great. It's pretty diverse biography. I used to watch mm. a lot to Channel 4. Scientific documentary is my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do, I do love them, every single one of them. Okay, yeah. give us a quick intro into what is ITV and ITV Hub. Sure. So for those who don't know, ITV is a large free-to-air television service in the UK, which is predominantly ad-funded. And uh, we broadcast really uh, kind of big, big shows over here. Uh, The likes of Love Island, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, Britain's Got Talent. They're really big shows, a lot of which have started, their origins are from ITV. And so we broadcast throughout the UK and we bring in uh, millions of viewers every evening both on linear and on TV, but also online as well. So I'm head of product for The Hub, which is an online platform which allows people to both watch through simulcast but also catch up as well. So meaning that you can either watch live or you could watch later. And that's really the premise of, of the ITV Hub. We try and ensure that our content is a is parallel to the linear television. So whatever goes out on air, you can then subsequently either watch live or you can watch uh, post-event as well. So that's really in a nutshell what ITV is and ITV Hub's relationship to that. Gotcha. So like I said, every app, it's about the people who are standing behind it. So the product team of ITV Hub, they, they have to work together with folks from CRM team. There's got to be synergy. They have to share information back and forth. They have to stick to certain KPIs to make sure that they're aligned with one set of KPIs to be efficient, productive, you know, kind of push this envelope further and further efficiently. Yeah. What kind of KPIs do you guys uh, put for these two teams to work together efficiently? 
Yeah. So I think it's a really good question because wherever I've worked in a product space before, the relationship with CRM is either it's been kind of one of three things. So either really strong, it kind of misaligned or not there at all. And luckily, ITV, there's lots of alignment. And the alignment really comes from having these symbiotic meetings and meetings which we, we, we discuss our big overall KPIs and then try and understand how each can work towards them. So, and that's the, for me, the, the biggest part of about a collaborative relationship is ensuring that we have aligned missions and aligned goals and KPIs. And it's not always the case that we have specific targets that are identical to one another. I think for us, the important part is this is a partnership. And so what we're looking for together is to try and build that full end-to-end experience. And by that, I mean, uh, within product, we control very much what the user sees when they land on, let's say, the ITV hub. And CRM Mm -hmm. spends a lot of time trying to get people into the ITV hub. And if we look at it as a workflow and we segregate between the two, and then we look at where we overlap, they're the moments in which we can create the, the aligned KPIs and we can actually empower each other to be successful at our jobs. It's, it's very much a, a kind of chicken-egg type relationship, you know, well, I see it that mm-hmm. way anyway. It, it, independently, it doesn't really work. You, you only sort of tell one half of the story. And together, you, you end up aligning on both the customer workflow and what the customer the, the kind of customer value add is basically right across the board. From the moment they receive a push notification message or an email about content, the experience then is passed across to products to ensure that that experience is kind of met with, with satisfaction. And then equally, CRM have components on our hub page, which allows them to control editorial content as well. So then we pass it back to CRM. And for me, it's about making sure that, yes, KPIs are aligned, but also that they are respectful of each other in terms of you, you have to make sure that we have alignment in business value, not just in metrics. I have to ask it. Uh, we all live at this COVID-19 pandemic situation. Does mm-hmm. it have any impact on how this dynamic works for you guys? Yeah, I think we're trying to deal with with two things simultaneously as a, as a fallout of COVID-19. One is working remotely. So mm-hmm. we've gone from lots of collaboration, sat in the same office space, uh, a few desks apart from each other, to to obviously disperse teams trying to collaborate together. So that in itself is is a challenge. The second challenge, being a content provider, as in we provide TV content to people, there's obviously a huge business operation that sits behind that as well. And so what's challenging for us as an industry, not just for ITV, is how we can keep making content that ultimately becomes taken, uh, you know, presented on the hub. And then we have something to both market and to uh, give uh, value back to the customer on. So what we're trying to do and the difficulties that we've seen with this is that our collaboration is being tested, but also our uh, ability to react quickly is also being tested as well. And it's that reaction which we you don't really experience until you're in the moment. You know, it's very much a, a, a kind of black swan event that we're going through mm-hmm. at the moment. And we never anticipated having to work both remotely and pivot our current goals or OKRs towards something which was was unforeseen, obviously. So there's there's learning curves to be had, but at the same mm-hmm. time, we have to kind of learn and move on very quickly. And again, I think the reason that my calendar is currently full of meetings is because 
the collaboration, people see the value in that collaboration and they don't want to lose it. And where it would have happened organically in the office, it now has to be almost by design because the act of putting a meeting in requires you know people to accept the meeting, obviously, and you lose some of that organic nature about dealing with crisis. I see. Understood. Now let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. ITV uses two business models: subscription and advertising, right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, can you talk about pros and cons of both, and yeah. how they both together work for you? Yeah, sure. So, what's important is that ITV believes that we want people to watch TV how they want to watch it offline, and so we want to make sure that. The, the right choices are there for our customers to be able to make, to enjoy TV how they want to watch it. We live in a, in a space where uh, Netflix and, and Prime and Disney Plus are, are hugely dominant when it comes down to global markets. Right. And so the, the, the kind of subscription model is becoming entrenched in people's view and behaviors. Now, traditionally, ITV is the ad-funded model. Where we want to make sure that we don't lose uh, customers is by not giving them the flexibility to watch TV how they want to watch it. And with Hub Plus, you're able to pay a, a nominal amount of money and have um, that, ad, that experience ad-free. It also gives you the advantages of being able to uh, download and watch abroad as well. So there's big advantages to our customers, but the, what's wrapped up in that £3.99 cost uh, for us is... Uh, is the business model, which is a, a trade-off to the ad-funded model. So it's not so much a, a pro and con of one of the versus the other. It's more of mm-hmm. a customer choice. And that's the important thing is that I see it as all a pro because you can choose one option or another option. It's not so much, a, and it, of course, it comes down to how much value you place on the service, but also the, the amount we've we've landed on is, we think, an indicator about the value of service that they're getting. So you give people more choice and that's how they can exactly. get more of their attention and more people on your platform. Exactly, yeah. Now you've mentioned Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. Obviously, there's two models there. Uh, they're being used not only in media, but online publications. Think of Washington yeah. Post, New York Times. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much these two the most, like the brightest examples of how several years ago, both switched on the uh, subscription model. And basically, this model do work pretty well for them. So can you think of just broadly a few examples of what business verticals would be better off using subscription and the second one? Yeah, I think it's a difficult lens to view through the vertical lens and subscription lens, because I think if you look at something like, let's take something abstract, like the men's hygiene market and uh, things like the shaving equipment, Mm -hmm. uh, razor blades. Now, you know, four years ago, the, the ability to be able to subscribe to a service that sends you razor blades just, just kind of didn't really exist. And that model didn't exist at all. And I think, you know, companies like that have taken a what's becoming more embedded in, in our customer behavior, which is you can pay for a service and it's actually more profitable to keep people into a value chain than it is to get them to just buy one razor every quarter when they've got the choice again to be able to go and go out and choose a different razor, I think mm-hmm. looking at looking at companies like that that have gone uh, through that journey of actually is a subscription model a, a viable business proposition for us in the in the age we live in where online subscriptions are very easy to make. It's there's just barely any friction between 
me going onto a website and subscribing for something that went on one yesterday around um, gadgets. I was just kind of bored and browsing around the internet, looking at different subscription packages, funnily enough. And one I found was about every month they send you five or six different gadgets. And mm-hmm. the, the subscription cost is about £12, but you don't know what you're going to get. And that's a really interesting kind of box of wonder that you receive every every 12 months. The only guarantee they give you is that you're going to be satisfied with what you get. So that's a really interesting subscription has become a very different thing to what it was when you subscribed to a newspaper online. Five years or maybe slightly longer now, I was at the Telegraph where we went behind a paywall. And what was really interesting for me at the time was the paywall didn't get rid of advertising as such. And I think this is where the every business that serves advertising would should look at the question, would a subscription model without advertising be as sustainable for me, no matter what the cost of that? And you can you can work out the, the cost value of a user. YouTube uh, do this well, I think. The if you say to someone it's fifteen ninety nine, it was fifteen ninety-nine um, a month to put, to subscribe to YouTube premium, then you know, most people go, that's a ridiculous amount of money. But then when you kind of outline, you know, it's the biggest video platform in the world. It gives you downloadable content that you can keep on your device for as long as you want it for. You can listen to content without it being on screen. Mm-hmm. You suddenly create a proposition which actually sounds, you know, fifteen ninety nine suddenly sounds cheap. And so for me, it's the, the verticals that should look at it. It's literally every vertical where there's an ad funding model provided for it. If the flexibility was there for you to remove that advertisement or to get something in addition to what you're currently getting, then yeah, I think it should be a uh, it should be looked at. I don't necessarily see a vertical having more preference. Uh, certainly, some lend itself slightly better, but that's only because of current business models. And newspapers have traditionally been that online newspaper because you pay for the editorial uh, integrity of that paper and i think that's important to try and protect right so in a sense it's a kind of a psychology of a user if you can make the case for him or her that this Mm -hmm. subscription delivers value and it's unique and it's really really beneficial so why not just pay this like youtube premium and uh, do not worry that you will be out of content on your you know airplane can grab anything you want to with you and uh, watch it everywhere you want, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I'll give you an example of where it doesn't necessarily work for me with mm-hmm. a subscription model. So I use the the Apple News app every day. I, I think it's a great app. I think they've done a really good job uh, aggregating lots of different news stories, bringing them all together and passing them in a way which is easily digestible. I think it's a great app. What I would like to be able to do is remove the, the adverts uh, from there. The only mm-hmm. way I can do that is to subscribe to Apple News Plus, which is nine ninety nine, and with that you get a, a kind of Readly type, uh, vast amounts of, of magazines as well. You get in the UK, you get the uh, the Times and the Sunday Times as, as newspapers. Now, for me, all I want to do is remove those ads, and the only right. way I can do that is to pay nine ninety nine. And the perks it's given me, I don't want. So there's no flexibility there. So they're actually getting zero amount of money from me as opposed to maybe, you know, two or three pounds or however much I'd, I think was a, a right amount to remove advertisement off that page. But instead, they're saying, well, there's this really impressive service you could have or this bare minimum service you could have. And I think what companies should look at is where is that, that middle ground? How many, how many slices can you actually make between 
the premium product and the free entry product. And I think as subscriptions become more prevalent, people's money is going to become more um, specific about what you spend it on. And so you should give the flexibility in the model for what people you know, choose for what you pay for what you get, basically. Amazing, Stuart. It's exactly the case for me. I don't want 300 mm. magazines. I'm okay with yeah. three, four, and I've been reading for a number of years. I just don't want to see ads yeah. in them. And yeah. 10 yeah. bucks a month, exactly. it's too much for me. I'm looking, yeah. I'm looking at this price tag and I'm looking, guys, you have to be more yeah. flexible. There's got to be a better solution. That's yeah. why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the sad thing is it almost then sets a precedent. And Apple have always set the precedent. And the precedent, I, I remember reading somewhere not long ago about uh-huh. every every subscription model coming out of sort of Silicon Valley at the moment needs to be $20 a month or it's not profitable. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's there's lots and lots of nuance in that. But it's almost, that's the price point people have landed on of an acceptable amount of money for an acceptable service. Anything more than that, people tend to to, to flinch and, and say it's too expensive, regardless of what that might be. Mm-hmm. And anything uh, less, you're not going to have your return on investment. So there is, there's lots of, of kind of boards to be treaded when it comes down to making sure that customer satisfaction is, is a deity. But I think it's just going to come down to that customer preference and flexibility. I see. All right, let's switch gears a little bit more again. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about machine learning and uh, using yeah. it to help product development, to help product yeah. teams to analyze users' behavior and actually yeah. predict what you should do with your product to bring them more value, to make them happier. What do you think yeah. of the current state of ML? Is it ready? Yeah. Is it like, are we there or not? Yeah, I certainly think it is ready. I think it's it's there to be used in a in a very careful and constructed way by experts. I don't yet think it's something which should be put into the hands of um, of the layman or mm-hmm. the the kind of uneducated when it comes down to to this. I think the concept is easy for people to understand. The execution is is actually very complicated. And what a lot of the the kind of data scientists that I've worked with, and there's some brilliant ones at ITV that I've worked with on uh, personalization projects recently. And what mm-hmm. they're very, very good at is explaining machine learning to people who don't understand what machine learning actually is. And it's very similar. The, there's lots of terms that become uh, tossed around as, as kind of, well, we should do machine learning, we should do big data, you know, but really, you know, what do people mean by that? And it's right. the same with with kind of AI and um, just you know it's it's very difficult to sort of for someone who doesn't understand the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning to to really appreciate the difference between the two. And you know every company I've worked at in the last five years has said they've got an interest or a vested interest in exploring AI, when it whereas they haven't yet gone through the very initiation of using data-driven decisions. <laughs> and so it's to answer your question, yes, it's absolutely fit for purpose. I think it takes subject matter experts to be able to execute it. I think it takes good product managers who understand where to look for the value in the analysis that uh, comes out and also goes in as well. And you know, one of my big things as a, as a product manager has always been to look for the, the kind of heart of a product. And machine learning, you know, as it suggests, is, is based on the input of factors to achieve a result or to or to take an input to analyze and 
and look at the outputs. For me, the, the jigsaw piece into this is ensuring that the, the customer's um, mindset and intention and empathy towards a product is also represented as well. So what I wouldn't want to do is, is ever suggest that machine learning will replace the, the one-on-one conversation with a customer. I think you learn as a product manager certainly on a completely different level than you do if you just looked at raw data and analysis as well. I know there's people that would disagree with that with that statement, and I think for me, what I've seen in in, a, in product terms is the market shifting from the top line of a of a job spec for a product manager would typically used to have been it's the voice of the customer. Now it's it's almost use data to make decisions. You know, it's becoming the number one uh, kind of skill set which a, a product manager should be recruited for. But I for me, for me, for me, that kind of is counterintuitive to what product really is, which is about making sure that all signals are listened to, and that includes data, and that includes a customer, and that includes business, includes market research, bringing that all together. And so, machine learning is making strides which we've never seen before in any industry towards understanding uh, customer from a input perspective. But I think it's still very, very valuable to make sure that human interaction remains and product managers especially understand the empathy that is associated to a product. So you see machine learning as a tool to augment our capabilities, not to replace us. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but that, that said, there's the automation that comes with being able to utilize data within a machine learning capacity, you know, far outstrips the ability for, you know, engineers to, to program at the same rate. The example I gave earlier around personalization, mm-hmm. you know, for us, we couldn't do that without without machine learning and without ensuring that we're utilizing our, our data sets to uh, augment what the ITV hub looks like based on customer preference. You know, there's no engineer in the world that can operate at that speed, you know, and, and kind of hand crank out personalization recommendations to people in real time. So I think you're right. It's an augmentation of customer insight aligned with the, the kind of human element of it as well. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a marriage of the two. All right, great. And now I have a few questions, kind of funny, quick ones for you. Uh, yeah, sure. Are you iOS or Android person? iOS. <laughs> I'm kind of waiting for people <laughs> to say the Windows mobile, but it never happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might be okay. waiting a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, <laughs> do you remember your first mobile phone? Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, vividly, I remember it. It was a Nokia 3210. And uh, it, it could have text messaging on that completely blew my mind when I got it. You know, I was completely aware of phone calls. I remember the first text message I got. I remember who I got it from. And I was like, wow, this is this is something I've never, ever seen before or knew was possible. So for me, that was a, a real kind of moment, that, that Nokia 3210, playing Snake and texting people for 50p at a time was, uh, was yeah, pretty much my kind of late teens. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, okay, back to 2020. Uh, what is your favorite app now? Other than the ITV Hub? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'd have to say that, right? It's up to you. 
Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's it's my favorite app because I'm head of product for that app. I'm, I'm sure it's your I, baby. You know, right. invested a lot, exactly, yeah, invest a lot of time. But outside of that, I use Procreate. It's a uh, iPad app. I use uh-huh. that a lot. I think it's for the the value of that product for what you pay and what you get back is is phenomenal. I think it's a it's a really good example of products listening to what customers want and delivering above that. So I think it's great. Yeah, really good app. Okay, cool. Let's let's try to go kind of the other direction. Not exactly, yeah. but still. What about overrated app? Can you think of any app that you hear a lot, but you go like, "Gosh, it doesn't deserve all this hype." Is there any app like this? Well, I think you know. I th- yeah, I think. I mean, there's there's lots of them. I, I mean, the the kind of it's a mobile. I occasionally do mobile gaming as well, and any app where you you have to kind of pay to win. I just delete immediately if i see that model so for me anything anything where payment is hidden is is so frustrating and and it makes me kind of be very suspicious about uh downloading an app from that developer again i think you know the facebook app is one i use i use out of necessity i run a a large facebook group and um where i live for my local area and Mm -hmm. they kind of need to to kind of moderate you know, go into the app every day and moderate uh, the content on there. I just think there's a huge amount that, that can be done. And it's not so much an overrated app, Facebook. I think it's more overused, I would say. I think there's other platforms at the moment that are giving rise to different creative propositions that Facebook try to encompass within one app. And I think it's the market's fragmenting at the moment. And I think it's it's for the the better to choose one of those Uh, subject matter expert taps as opposed to the the monolith that is facebook exactly i think we can do just uh another show on facebook itself yeah it's a really (laughs) huge topic yeah a lot of pleasant and really not pleasant uh, surprises that coming up yeah from facebook now what about app technologies you're most excited about what's on the horizon you're waiting for well i think the you know the, the, the pwa movement was one I was excited about for a while. I think this is the thing with with app technologies is there is there's a lot of buzz around them. And if you went, ever went to a Mobile World Congress, you know the number of of innovations there that you look at and you think, wow, this is this is going to be huge. This is going to mm-hmm. be absolutely huge. And then you realise the economy of scale of a lot of those initiatives just isn't there. And it's because I think you know to to work on mass meet needs a kind of low entry phone to be able to accommodate it. So, you know, augmented reality, I've got the new iPad and using the camera on there with augmented reality, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's really, really impressive. And you look at it and you think this is going to be the future of, of how we use apps and how apps are kind of interactive. But it's, it's still got to be an affordable model where, you know, a, a downstream Android version on a, on a kind of lower level piece of hardware can do the same thing as well. Otherwise, it never really matures or it doesn't mature quick enough to become uh, something which can be taken advantage of. So another example is uh, just going back to the magazines and the idea mm-hmm. of online magazines. I think it was, it was, I can't remember which magazine it was. It was something like a, a .NET magazine or um, maybe a science magazine. And their demonstration for how they use technology was an interactive magazine. And again, I remember mm-hmm. thinking at the time, this is amazing. This is this is. Um, magazines are going to take on a whole new lease of life where you can interact with the features and with, with the images and uh, you can do all sorts. 
And then you realize the effort that goes into making something like that is so daunting that you can't do it. You can do it as a special edition every two years, but you can't do this releases every week. Mm-hmm. So I think I've become, I know it's a long-winded answer to what I'm, I'm excited about in tech, but I think I've become so measured with my excitement over the years because I've been excited so many times, you know, things like beacons within mobile technology. And you think, wow, this, the implications of this are huge. And what you could do with this, you know, you could walk into a shop and be notified about discounts within the store, or you could walk mm-hmm. past a company and be notified of jobs available in here. That never really materialized, certainly not in the UK. And it, it still might. It's just, I think the app technology on scale takes a long while to get to where it needs to become a adopted um, piece of software, adopted by creatives, adopted by anyone who could just pick it up and, and create something amazing from it. I think 5G might help that change. And it, it is a short-term answer. The app technology, I think, I'm most excited about is hopefully, what can hopefully. be achieved on 5G. Yeah. If people are just uh, blowing up 5G towers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the long path. Uh, oh, yeah. With that in the way. Uh, <laughs> now, before I let you go, Stuart, uh, how people sure. can get to know more about what you do? So I think my, my LinkedIn page, I'm active on LinkedIn. I think it's probably the best place for people to go to to get in contact with me. I'm mm-hmm. always really happy to talk about products. And anyone who wants to, you know, who's interested in getting into product or would like to just understand more about how it works in a different organization, I'm more than um, open to just accepting the request and um, having a chat. I think my LinkedIn profile is linkedin.com slash S-D-O-J, if anyone is interested in um, contacting me that way. Cool. Cool. That's great. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, Stuart. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was Stuart Jones, head of product at ITV Hub. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Once you subscribe, you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment. It is highly appreciated. And also, all episodes will be available on businessofapps.com. See you next week. Bye. This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.